Welcome to Conversations Over Coffee, where we're brewing inspiring discussions on the Philippine startup ecosystem with those who are making things happen. I'm your host, Bitsantas from Kickstart Ventures. Join me in every episode as we sit down with key figures in the startup community as we explore their successes and challenges and how we can work together to shape the future. The SaaS market has reached unprecedented heights both globally and locally, with the global SaaS market size being valued at $261 billion in 2022. Here in the Philippines, it's expected that SaaS revenue will grow to $237 million since 2023 and grow to $393 million by 2027, proving that SaaS innovations are here to make a dent in the ecosystem. Join us in this episode as we talk to Pat Gentry, CEO of Sprout Solutions, the largest local SaaS company in annual recurring revenue in the Philippines. Hey, Pat, welcome back to the Kickstart office. It's been a while since we've had you here. Thanks. I believe it's been quite a busy past several weeks for you with a successful SaaScon just a few weeks ago as of this recording and you guys becoming, you know, the latest Series B uh, local tech startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a really busy, really busy start to 2023. So I'm happy to get to where we are in terms of SaaScon and our Series B being done. Awesome. So let's go back to the very beginning. You were one of the early movers in the Philippine startup ecosystem, along with your wife, Alex. Can you tell us a bit about your background and before you became a startup founder, and how did the idea of Sprout eventually come to the both of you? Sure. So interesting story. I started my career in Silicon Valley in the tech scene there as an early employee in a, in a tech startup and then made my way out to the Philippines in 2008. So I've been here 15 years now. Kind of hard to believe because I came here in a backpack to visit a friend and extended my stay and then extended again. And that was 15 years ago. So so that's how I came to the Philippines. And then I joined four other people starting a company here called KMC, uh, which has become a large real estate company since then. But as we were growing that business, we were struggling with HR and payroll and really looked in the market. We didn't find any solutions that we liked. One of the other founders of KMC is, is also, you know, Silicon Valley background. So we were looking for a modern cloud-based SaaS tool and didn't find anything in 2010 <laughs> in the Philippines. So we built something and we used that internally for a number of years, actually. And then I told the other KMC shareholders, like, hey, I really want to take this to market as a tech play as a SaaS tool for the Philippines. I had a number of discussions about that. And then I ended up carving out Sprout in May of 2015 as a separate company. And now my wife has a deep background in growing companies in the Philippines, but she was taking a break at that time because we were having our second child. So she was, we had decided together if she was going to be a full-time mom, now is the time to do it. So she took a break from work to start taking care of the kids. That lasted for about a week as I started bringing work home from my fledgling startup that I was just incorporating. So she came on board full-time like as of June or something, like right after I incorporated. And so we became co-founders of Sprout. So not only were you a husband and wife founder duo, but you're also doing it with two young kids yeah. in tow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was uh, very crazy days in the, in the early part of Sprout. 
So you folks at, at Sprout have recently published uh, the state of HR here in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you overcome those early days of getting more adoption of this new tech you were bringing to the space? And how has the space changed since those early days? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'll tell you a story that I think reflects this a little bit. And actually, it's from recently, but it's a pretty good picture of this, you know, the whole journey. And I was talking to a VP of HR from a a medium-sized business. They have about 900 employees here in Metro Manila. And he was saying, you know, you have to understand, before talking to Sprout, we considered all of our processes, like we had gone through tech transformation already. We had transformed all of our HR processes from being on carbon copy paper to being on Excel. That was like a big deal for us, you know? We were like already on top of this. So we didn't think about digital transformation in any kind of way, the way that Sprout presented it to us. So it actually was a big hurdle for us to adopt Sprout because it was just like, kind of confounding, like we had already gone through digital transformation. What does this, what does this tool do? You know, it was a whole world of difference. Like we had no kind of thinking about this level of automation and this level of like data analytics and transparency and all of this, because in our minds, we had already built tech into our HR processes by using spreadsheets. So yeah, it's a really big adoption curve here to be overcome. And I think what's super interesting about the Philippines is that HR in general is one of the first tech automation platforms that a company will adopt. So you have like basically your finance tool, your CRM, and your HR platform are like three kind of fundamental tools that companies will will look to start to adopt and then start leveraging to automate business processes. So when you think about even today, 50% of businesses that adopt Sprout are coming from Excel. There's just, and HR is one of the first tools that a company gets. There's a long road ahead of us of companies in the Philippines adopting SaaS tools to automate business processes. So yeah, I mean, it's, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, I imagine even like these days, there's probably an odd company that you would encounter where exactly as you described the the early customers where the extent of going digital was, you know, we've gone paperless. Yeah, super. But uh, not fully recognizing the opportunity where it's not just about the documents and like the artifacts, but it's also about the processes that you can digitize and automate. Yeah, yeah. And that's not even to speak about kind of second order benefits like reducing attrition by having better insights about your employee uh, sentiment or, you know, reducing your overhead by better managing overtime expenses because you can actually see and, and regulate overtime in a better way. All these different things that you get by having, you know, a proper SaaS tool, a proper HR tool versus a bunch of Excel sheets across a half a dozen computers, you know? Yeah, I met the, the, I can appreciate how even just the the small interaction of like filing leave or just checking on your balance of leave, well, having a pleasant experience around that makes a big deal, makes a big impact long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you multiply that touch point times a thousand employees times a couple times a week, maybe three or four times a week. And you have a massive change in how employees perceive their organization overall. And I think this is what's, what's, 
and I, and I talk about this in conferences quite a bit, that consumer tech is quite a bit ahead of business tech uh, globally and in the Philippines. Uh, so you have these employees who can do all these things on their phone, whether it's, you know, fun things like socializing or playing games or even productivity related stuff like getting a grab or ordering food or, you know, ordering groceries or booze or whatever. They can do all these like all these things with these beautiful digital experiences. And then they get to their office and to file a vacation leave, they fill out a carbon copy paper and take it to their manager who has to initial it and then take it to the HR department who has to initial it and file it away. I mean, it's just this massive jarring difference in experience. And so employers are under more and more pressure from their employees, from their partners, from their clients to to have these digital experiences in all, in all facets of their business. So Sprout, we're kind of taking care of the employee side, but also for their clients, you know, Having better experiences, digitized experiences is becoming more important. Yeah, there's just like more and more pressure to automate this stuff in a much better, much more seamless way. That's a good point that, that businesses are essentially always playing catch up. They're an organization that kind of has to move together, whereas individual consumers can just like adopt things as uh, immediately as needed. So there's always that, that tension, that pull from, for an organization to better serve their employees. Yeah, I mean, uh, to catch up with the consumer experiences that are that their employees are having every day. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of the the opportunity, the the evergreen opportunity of particularly like B two B SaaS, right? And one could argue that Sprout is one of the success stories to emerge from the Philippine startups of one or two cohorts ago. And back then, if you thought about tech startups, it was essentially SaaS startups, right? So since then, startups have really been going to the market in so many different ways, um, B2B, B2C, B2B2C, offline, online, online to offline, right? So there's a whole broader horizon for what a startup could look like. And kind of SaaS, a SaaS business is kind of just one way it could look these days. So how would you say that like the local startup ecosystem has changed since then as a SaaS business? And how has the opportunity for SaaS businesses changed? So that's a great question um, because it's a totally different world today than than it was when I was raising our seed round. So I think it's super interesting to reflect on that. I mean, I think Sprout is like a little bit of a dinosaur in in, in startup land, okay? Because we're like seven years old. You know, when we raised seed round, we were one of the few seed rounds in the Philippines, and there were just a handful of startups at all operating in the country. Uh, so, you know, versus today, there's literally hundreds of startups, dozens or more than 100 funded startups in the Philippines, some very large fundraising rounds happening, some startups approaching unicorn status. Yeah, it's a radically different environment and like in a very, very positive way. So to your point, back then, the funded, I think all the funded startups in the early days were SaaS, like as you mentioned. And now they kind of run the gamut from SaaS, consumer, fintech, you know, these D2C, these like retail plays. Now in my area, like SaaS, software as a service and like B2B software as a service, especially, I think it's just totally different landscape in a couple of ways. But maybe most importantly is that you have 
business apps like Sprout here in the Philippines that you can build off of. So you don't have to build a SaaS tool from scratch and go and sell it to businesses yourself and market it and like build it without any support and all this stuff. It's just a totally different kind of barrier to entry. So before there was like this really big barrier to entry. And I just was fortunate enough that we built Sprout originally inside another business that we were running successfully. So we had really an unfair advantage. You know, starting from scratch would have been much, much more difficult. Now, the difference with kind of because of a number of factors, you don't have to do that. And that that means that anybody with, you know, some tech experience or a developer friend or an idea um, can put something together and test it in the market very quickly. Happy to expand on that and the reasons. But yeah, that like fundamentally, barrier to entry is very low. So if you're a young entrepreneur, like it's easier than ever to jump in and get your hands dirty and see what you can do. So with a lower barrier to entry, the trade-off there is then it becomes more difficult to differentiate yourself, right? In the long term, at least. So, you know, you said a SaaS business essentially has to start with like, what is an unfair advantage I can leverage to build a business around and start attacking that, that problems with that. But then how do you make sure that it, you're actually building a viable business? So I think the best way to address that is in a, think about it as more of an opportunity than a threat. So yes, barrier to entry is low, but that means if you have an idea, you can go and test it without risking your life savings and you know your house and all of this stuff. So I would think about it that way. There are a million problems in the Philippines. There are a million problems in, in every country. And tech is eating the world. So yeah, there's absolutely opportunities. And it, the fact that there's a lower barrier to entry just means that you can go and test an opportunity really quickly. For example, Sprout, we have 1,000 clients. We have 180,000 active employees in our system. We have an open API developer portal. You get a free sandbox environment you can play around with. If you're an engineer or you know an engineer and you have this idea about a problem you want to fix, you can go and play with our API and see if you can fix it building off of Sprout's you know, data, like employment data, for example. So you might have an idea that you want to fix for businesses. You can go and test it very quickly on a platform that can also unlock 180,000 end users or 1,000 customers for you. That's a huge advantage versus where you were you know, five years ago, competition aside. So yeah, it's, I see it as more of an opportunity than a threat that the barrier to entry is low. Now, in terms of like finding your niche, I don't know. I'm like one of those people who like, I just start something and think about it later. Uh, <laughs> but like, start with the problem. You know, you think you, have, you think you know a problem, you go and talk to some people, they say, yes, this is a problem. I'm willing to pay for it. You go and build a prototype, you show it to them. They're like, yes, game, I will, I'll pay for it. And then you're off and running. And like everything else is like down the road. Think about it later. Somebody's paying you for this. You have a solution. Now, whether that solution is going to be a core kind of center, a core nucleus of a whole ecosystem of products the way Sprout is, or whether it's just going to be a very thin, light solution that you monetize and earn a personal income from, you know, that can be something you discover along the way. But 
what's so cool about a lower barrier to entry is that you can get in there and get your hands dirty and test it out and, and discover that. That's a good way to put it. I mean, because it doesn't only apply to the beginning, but it, it kind of continuously applies, right? You know, there's a low barrier to entry to start. But even once you've started and found something that's kind of showing some promise, there's still the low barrier to entry still that continues to help you by, you know, entry into what's the next thing? What's the what what are what are the adjacent ideas that I can continue exploring and building on the the original idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And whether that's you or you're identifying partners in, you know, is just something that you'll address along the way. But because of that, because of that ease of integration and, and you know, kind of all the stuff that APIs unlock and the simple coding frameworks unlock. Yeah, these partners spring up. So just in Sprout's context, we have an ecosystem of partners that do all these things that we don't want to do ourselves. So, for example, performance management or learning and talent development or recruitment. These are things that we've decided that we don't want to build ourselves. We want to focus our engineering muscle on core HR and and then um, this ecosystem platform that we have built off of that core HR. Uh, so for everything else, we're we're finding partners. Um, so yeah, as you grow, as you said, like people pop up with ideas and they want to build, and then and then they can end up providing a. a an app or um, a solution that Sprout clients then use. So I think you touched on an interesting idea that kind of speaks to the evolution of SaaS in general, where in the earlier days of the big SaaS successes, when you kind of think about it, it's usually these big giants, right? They And kind of enterprisey yeah, products ERP. That, that do everything. That's right. Yeah, um, ERP. And that seems to have changed, right? Mm-hmm. Where... The, originally, when you build a SaaS business, it's kind of what's what's the universe that I operate in, and what's what's the maximum that I can own and control within mm-hmm. that universe, mm-hmm. and kind of build a moat around that, mm-hmm. kind of isolate yourself mm-hmm. from potential competition. But at the same time, you also isolate yourself from potential partners and collaborators. Yeah, yeah, super. I mean, it's it's evolved a lot and i think maybe the biggest driver one of the big drivers is the that kind of api concept of apis and and making integrations very seamless and easy versus how it was before so when it was hard to connect applications it made sense that somebody was going to pop up and just build a whole bunch of stuff themselves and try and solve everything for their customer and you had like SAP, Workday, Oracle, these kind of giants um, grew on that. But then APIs came along, made integration super easy. And that is driving this whole revolution in SaaS. And like, you know, you can read Gartner reports on this or whatever, but the, the industry is really changing from this kind of ERP style to companies investing in like business suites or ecosystems or platforms or however you want to call it, which are basically just a bunch of different SaaS tools supported by different product teams, different companies, but stitched together via API into these like seamless clouds, like basically these seamless like this tech stacks that businesses can leverage. And then they're just finding better value here because like take Sprout as an example. We do what we do exceedingly well for the Philippines. Like we automate core HR, these amazingly nuanced 
like horribly complex processes, very unique to the Philippines. We automate this very, very well. And then we can partner with somebody who's automating performance management, you know, better than anybody else. And then our clients get the best core HR platform and the best performance management platform um, that, that money can buy. And if we were trying to do both, we would end up with two mediocre platforms and clients that would be kind of unhappy with, with how they both work. But because we get to partner with best in class, you know, customers really get to see, you know, get the best of the best of breed. And then the, the cool thing is that when you have like this ecosystem of all these partners, clients can really pick the solution that works best for them. So it might be a very light performance management module with a very deep core HR module or vice versa. But it gives clients so much more flexibility around how they want to build their tech stack. So that's, you know, all of this to say, the ability to integrate software very easily is driving this change and it's being driven by customers who want you know better quality lower price more flexibility in how they build the tech stack for them um so so yeah the whole tech landscape is moving you know, the whole SaaS landscape is moving this way and i think it's pretty pretty cool to see so you've done an incredible job building sprout to become the largest SaaS company in the philippines from starting out in HR and payroll, Sprout is now an ecosystem of solutions that cuts across an entire lifetime of an employee. So what have you learned about building a successful SaaS business? Right? What does it take now, these days? And as you can see moving forward, what does it take? Mm-mm. So great question. I think maybe like an interesting way to talk about this is to kind of talk about the this, this history of Sprout. So I'm from the U.S. and... In the U.S., SaaS is, is large, especially in the early days, is like a product-led growth kind of business. And what I mean by that is you have a website, people go to your website, they sign up, they start using your product for free, and then a certain number of those convert into paid users. And that was what the model was in my head. And we started Sprout, and we put up a website, and we got a lot of signups and zero further engagement. And it was a big learning for us in the early days of Sprout, which was, you know, Southeast Asia doesn't work the same way as the U.S. maybe. And we maybe need to do a little bit more handholding and a little bit more service layer to it. So I think one of the reasons Sprout has been successful is that we really acknowledge the, I guess, the, the nuances of our market, not just in the products that we make, but also in how we approach business. So we have a sales team that really talks to customer, potential customers and really fits the solution to their needs. We have an onboarding team with like all third-party certified um, onboarding professionals to really walk the client through the onboarding process. Because as we talked about earlier, this is a huge change for a lot of businesses in the Philippines. So onboarding becomes this really critical piece of the puzzle that where you have to do a lot of handholding and then a very like competent, robust customer success management team who uh, really manages the clients over time. So one of the things is like SaaS in Southeast Asia, maybe most especially in kind of even small but medium and enterprise businesses really requires a service level much more than you would have in developed markets. And then 
I think that that's one of the major learnings. And then in terms of, of the product, like we're really practicing cutting edge SaaS. Uh, what I mean by that is, is API first, um, ecosystem, large emphasis on ecosystem development and incorporating fintech. When you think about how fintech has, kind of fits in here, Five years ago, there, the, the financial services for end users were largely consolidated within financial institutions like banks. And then FinTech came along and broke all that up and said, you know, took all these services and made digital journeys for them and kind of specialized. You have, you know, lend, digital lenders, digital investment banks, digital retirement facilitators, and digital insurers. Once all of those banking services are broken up, you can then kind of insert them into workflows that are native to SaaS. So embedding FinTech into SaaS where it's contextually appropriate is, again, a part of what we're doing on the product side. That's a very long-winded answer <laughs> that kind of covered the whole scope. Besta, there's really two sides, which is first the business model and then how you're approaching the, the tech. So it seems that with the evolution of how SaaS businesses are now being built and what the opportunities for SaaS are available, a very successful model for SaaS is now determining that if the core of your SaaS business is actually something that can be foundational, you can make it into a hub around which you can build an ecosystem of other, essentially other SaaS and adjacent products. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. So think about it this way. In a world where like all the different SaaS products are connected, now you have data, essentially your currency or, or the kind of lifeblood in the system is data flowing around, right? And if you have data that a bunch of different tools need, then naturally you become a hub in this kind of knitted together tech stack or tech ecosystem. And so when you think about this in practice, like think about a business using different tools and the kind of data that those tools have. And you can think about these hubs as like data wells or kind of data magnets or, or that, that have this like really important information. And I'll give you some examples. So you're a, a business, you have employees and you know, you have Sprout, which has employee data. Well, a whole bunch of different tools need to know who the employees are of a business. Your engineers could be using Jira, your salespeople using HubSpot, your finance people using NetSuite. All of those tools need to know, hey, is this employee active? Are they part of the finance team? Should they have access to NetSuite? That can all be controlled by the HR tool, which is a system of record for employee data of the company. So your employee data becomes this like very important information in this broader ecosystem. Another example would be as a business, you have customers and you have your customer data in a CRM. Now that CRM becomes a hub, which, you know, you can build all these other tools need to know, oh, what are the customers of, a, of this business? And when you think about this and how it's, how it's evolved, like Salesforce was one of the very early movers here they didn't talk about it maybe in this kind of framing but they were building the app exchange which they were building in the early 2000s was essentially driven by this fact that 
Salesforce is a CRM, has all the customer data of a company. And so they started building an ecosystem of apps that drew on that customer data and did something with it. And so I think that's something that's super interesting when you're when you're starting a SaaS these days is thinking about where you are in that landscape. Are you a hub or a spoke? Are you towards one of the nuclei or are you, or are you kind of out on the fringe in terms of the data that you have? Well, I guess in a way, like SaaS businesses have kind of evolved to better mirror the real world wherein everything is interconnected, right? It's highly inefficient for any one thing to try to own and manage everything optimally. But at the same time, it's also suboptimal if you have like a bunch of isolated things working separately and in parallel and kind of in isolation. And so opening up the data and the flow between systems, in a sense, actually just really mirrors better what's happening in the real world, how people and businesses actually operate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're still early days in all of this. Like, there are not, like, beautiful ecosystems, like, totally built out and interconnected very well yet. But over time, as it really gets there, yeah, you're going to see, like, amazing benefits to businesses and much more, and, like, business tools mirroring, you know, offline processes much, much better than what we've had previously. So now this web of SaaS platforms with free-flowing data, you know, there's kind of a gestalt effect, right? In terms of the value that we create for the businesses, the consumers, the end users that we're serving, as well as for our businesses ourselves, right? So it seems like the impact of SaaS businesses these days can be much greater than it ever has. Yep, that's right. You'll see an ecosystem, right? And let's say you have Salesforce, and then this is a hub, and there's all these spokes, all these different apps that plug into Salesforce, but they themselves don't have a lot of plugins, right? And then, you know, you have something like SalesLoft or Gong, which starts becoming very successful in their own right, and then they start collecting more and more interesting data, and then they start building apps or connecting with other apps and kind of forming their own ecosystem where they're the core of. So as you're starting, let's say you're an entrepreneur today and you want to solve a problem that businesses face and you think, uh, yeah, it's just like my scope is only so big today and I'm just solving this one pain point. That's a great place to start. That's a great place to start. Solve one thing and do it very, very well. And then that can take you on a journey that becomes very big in the end. But what's important is that you're actually solving a real pain point. And you can really do that and test that very quickly in software as a service. I think I see, I, I still see a lot of solutions looking for problems. So that's like young entrepreneurs with really good ideas, but whether somebody will actually pay to solve that or, or to, to, to get that solution is still a big question mark. Um, what's important and very possible today is kind of understanding a problem very deeply, building a solution, even if it's a small solution that addresses that problem very well, connecting that solution to a, a larger ecosystem so that you have a ready customer base and 
ready adopters and all of that. Uh, and then, you know, if you're successful, you can build your, you know, what started off as something small, you can build it into something large and build your own ecosystem off of that. So that's just super exciting. It's a super exciting kind of evolution of the industry and opportunity for young entrepreneurs. Do you want to touch on anything Sprout specific from that point? or Yes, I do, actually. Thank you, Bit. Um, no, I was yeah, we're... Off, off the record. I was asked. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But you're, no, it's you okay to, to keep it on the to? record. This is fine. <laughs> no, that's a good prompt. <laughs> that's a good prompt. Yes, we're, we're pushing that. It's like for Sprout, um, we want people to do this. Like, we are the single source of truth for employee data in an organization. So anything that an employee needs to use can, can be something that connects to Sprout and says, hey, is this employee an employee? Should they have access to this? And we can help with that. And I'll give you like a, an example. You'd say you're a, you're a young coder, um, you're a fresh grad, and you notice that businesses in the Philippines, when people go and visit the office, there's not a really great check-in procedure. Like you get to the office of who you're visiting and there's a guard that says, oh yeah, okay, please wait. And then they walk around the office looking for whoever you're going to visit. And you say, look, I want to solve this. I'm going to build an app that sits on a tablet and the tablet sits on the front desk and visitors, when they come to the office, they can just look up who they're going to visit and say, yeah, yeah, I want to visit that person. And then that person will get an SMS and an email and be, be able to come out and get you. There's only a few buildings actually in the Philippines that actually have this today. So it's still a huge opportunity, right? Now, Sprout, we have the system of record that says, oh, these are all the employees. These are all the cell phone numbers. These are all the email addresses. So you can build your app, connect it to our database and have it live for businesses you know, kind of overnight versus having to build this whole employee system of record and then going to businesses and say, hey, upload all your employee records into my little app just so that you can have a check-in app in your, in your counter, right? Because this is kind of a great, you know, case study on this phenomenon of because Sprout has all these clients and we have their data and we have APIs some, you know, enterprising young developer or young founder can just go and build something that's useful that just can plug into our app. And then our clients can discover it and say, yeah, I want this. It's useful. I'll pay, you know, 2000 pesos a month to this developer so that I have a check-in app for my, for my office. Right. And then they have a much better experience for people coming to visit them. So, yeah, I think like, that's why it's, it's, the best time ever to have to be building SaaS in the Philippines, and we want to support that. And so we're actually doing that. Um, the Sprout does an annual, basically, incubator program where we take 10 businesses or, or hopefuls. Um, some of them are just pro idea stage, no product yet. And we do what we call it Impact. We did Impact 2023. We're prepping for Impact 2024. But for young founders with ideas about solving pain points for businesses, we guide them through an eight-week program. And then we partner with Kaya Founders for this. And then the winner of Impact gets a $100,000 investment from Kaya Founders. They get plugged into Sprout's ecosystem. We get to sell them to our customers. It's this huge advantage for a young startup trying to, you know, get their foothold in the industry. So yeah, I mean, we... 
Sprout is, you know, Sprout's now the largest SaaS in the Philippines. And we want to help other folks build really great solutions to companies' problems here. So Impact 2024 will be, let's see, the first quarter of next year. We're already kind of canvassing for in the market for startups. Um, you can go to sasschallenge.ph and sign up for that. And then that also culminates in SASCon, which is the largest SaaS conference in the Philippines. And the top three young startups from the incubator get to pitch and get to present in this SaaS conference. In our SASCon this year, we had a thousand attendees. We filled the Marriott Grand Ballroom. Uh, we filled it to the max. It was this massive event. And we had investors, founders, and business like business leaders, VPs, CEOs in the room um, listening to these Impact 23 finalists pitch. So it's like a it's a great opportunity for exposure and kind of to a great opportunity to jumpstart a SaaS idea with this with this program. So thank you for asking about it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things about SASCon twenty twenty three and it it's sounding like SASCon twenty twenty four is gonna be an an even bigger and more exciting uh, event. Yep, I think so. We're already getting signups. Uh sascon.ph is the website and uh yeah we're, we're getting signups from attendees from sponsors yeah it's it's amazing how how receptive the philippines has been to to this kind of movement awesome so wrapping it up you know do you have any parting thoughts for aspiring founders or even founders are already on their uh who are already early in their journeys building SaaS businesses um yes i have so many i don't know <laughs> where, where where do i start <laughs> Look, you've kind of heard me talk about it several times during the podcast, but now's the best time to start. So I I always tell like young, like, you know, college students or fresh grads, or maybe they've had a couple of years business, or even you've been in business for 20 years and now decided you're ready to take the leap and do something yourself. What's important is just to do it. Everybody has their own approach. I can explain my approach, which is bias to action. You just do it and worry about all the ifs, ands, or buts later. And, you know, if you take that approach, do it cheaply because you don't want to just jump in headfirst with your life savings on the line. But in this day and age, you can really do that because of technology and and where we're at today. It's very cheap to have an idea and and then go and test it and test it in the market. So, yeah, I, I would super encourage you guys out there, especially entrepreneurs out there, entrepreneurs with ideas that impact businesses, like Sprout has a whole ecosystem waiting for you to plug in something useful and then market it to a thousand businesses and like, you know, 180,000, by by the time this podcast comes out, you know, 200,000 active employees. So I guess that's my parting parting words of wisdom. Just do it. (laughs) Sorry, Nike. So just one final thought before we, we, we end the podcast. Um, what's the most interesting idea or concept of the future that captured your attention or imagination lately? Wow, that's a super interesting question. Thanks. This is like off topic, but super interesting. I think, so when you think about the iPhone, the iPhone was able to become a thing because of several technologies that intersected. So 
like batteries becoming much more space efficient. So you could have a much stronger battery, touch screens becoming a technology that was viable. And so these different kind of technological advances culminated in this one product, which is the iPhone, which was like revolutionary. Now what we're seeing are these like massive technologies that can converge and I don't I don't even know what's going to happen but when you think about robotics like the Boston Dynamics creepy robotic dogs and and those are like the macro version but the micro version are the, these nanobots that they're developing that can be injected into your body um so robotics is one AI like chat GPT and chat GPT-4 and then biotechnology. So like things like CRISPR, being able to edit genes, but not just that, just like the whole biotech field. Oh, and then and then layer on this quantum computing, right? Where you have like infinitely more powerful processing. Man, the convergence of these technologies will like, I don't know, I don't have no idea. It's, it's kind of... Um, yeah, it, it's something to definitely capture your imagination. The next like 20 years will be super interesting um, in the field of SaaS and also in this like emerging field of like AI powered biotech uh, robotic somethings. <laughs> right. So interesting stuff. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been a great conversation over mm -hmm. coffee and we'll see you around. Thanks. Thanks, Bit. Thanks, Kickstart. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Follow Kickstart Ventures on Facebook and LinkedIn to know who we're featuring next.